My guest today is Dr. Susan Lynch, a pediatric lipid specialist at the Cholesterol Treatment Center at Concord Hospital in Concord, New Hampshire. She is also New Hampshire's first lady, where she was working to draw more attention to the problem of childhood obesity and to encourage healthy eating habits and regular exercise for New Hampshire's children. Dr. Lynch, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here. Well, I'd like to start, I guess, with just the the recent numbers. What are current statistics on obesity in uh, kids in our country? Well, the most recent data was actually published uh, last April, April of 2006, in JAMA. And that data comes from the NHANES surveys. Those are the National Health and Nutrition Examination Surveillance Surveys that are performed on a regular basis. And that data showed that we now have about one-third of uh, kids in this country, ages 6 to 19, who are either overweight or obese, 33.6%. It's a pretty big number. It's a big number. And when you factor out and break it down by obesity versus overweight, we get 17.1% are obese with a BMI or body mass index greater than the 95th percentile. And another 16.5% are overweight with a BMI between the 85th and 95th percentile. You know, I know what happens later in life when you have obesity and all the medical problems that can develop, but what are the complications uh, just in children of being obese? Well, unfortunately, we're already starting to see them. Uh, Certainly in my practice, uh, which is a cholesterol clinic in New Hampshire, I'm seeing many more children with cholesterol disorders that are not just basically genetic disorders. Mm -hmm. They are certainly a large contribution to the problem from the environment, from their lifestyle. So we're seeing increased amounts of kids with high cholesterol, increased amount of children with hypertension or prehypertension. In fact, a recent article in pediatrics did a study showing that 50% of obese children are either hypertensive or prehypertensive. And then we're also seeing disorders of glucose metabolism, such as insulin resistance or impaired glucose tolerance, and even frank type 2 diabetes, a condition that we very rarely saw in children about two decades ago. It's unbelievable. It is. It's scary. Well, who's to blame? Who should we be mad at? (laughs) Well, I wish it were as simple as picking one person, one place, one party to blame, but it appears that this obesity epidemic, and, and when I say that, I mean what's happening with adults as well. As children, we have fully 70% of adults in this country who are overweight or obese. There's sort of been a coming together of multiple factors, almost like a perfect storm building, mm-hmm. that developed this epidemic of obesity that we're now experiencing. Well, what do you think besides high fructose corn syrup and lack of exercise? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I go to the airport with my children and I see these walking sidewalks, it enrages me. Well, you're absolutely right. There's many modern conveniences that we enjoy now that have just taken away our activity levels. If you think about uh, remote controls for televisions and other video equipment or garage door openers, just think about the amount of effort you used to put in to get into your garage when you drove home, get get in the garage, get out of the car, close the garage door again before you enter the house. And certainly we are walking a lot less. We now know that adults are walking 40% less now than they did in the 1970s, and children are walking 70% less than they did in the 70s. And another big factor is a change in our lifestyles in the fact that most Households are now headed either by two working parents or a single working parent. And that is a time burden on people such that we've gotten away from meal planning and preparation and serving home-cooked meals in our 
homes to our families, and we're doing a lot more eating out, getting a lot more takeout, or relying more on convenience foods. And those foods are of a lower nutritional quality and typically higher in calories, fat, and carbohydrates, which have also you know, contributed to this problem. Well, uh, again, I have two little kids, and they, they uh, definitely don't like eating fresh foods. They like their mini hot dogs and their carbohydrates, and that's it. So I don't know that that's changed so much from when we were children that we'd eat just, uh, you know, bad food. So what else is it in our environment that has changed that's uh, making us all obese? Well, well, you're absolutely right about that. You know, left to uh, their own defenses, children would prefer to eat sweets or poor nutritional quality food because often it tastes better. Unfortunately, some of the snacks and treats and food that they're consuming now are A, bigger in portion size, Mm -hmm. B, higher in calories, and C, higher in fat content or sugar content or both. Um, And the food is much more available. If you think about it, anytime you stop at a gas station, if you walk inside, uh, you know, you used to go inside and and you could purchase oil or get a new set of wiper blades for your car. Now it's full of junk food. Um, But there are other factors as well. Uh, TV watching, for example, is strongly correlated with childhood obesity. And we are seeing kids watch a lot of TV at younger ages. Uh, They have many more channels to select from. And then we have this evolving uh, video system. You know, we, we have DVD players and VCRs and we have video games and we have the Internet and we have... Uh, ability to download all kinds of information on our computer to entertain us and to inform us. So there's much more time spent sitting in front of a screen or a monitor than we ever experienced a couple of decades ago. Dr. Lynch, what if we came up with a solution that attached a treadmill to a TV so every time you turned on the TV... You had to be walking and moving. I think that'd be great. Well, and actually, they do have such uh, innovations. In fact, um, we have a child's gym here in New Hampshire, and they have several cardio machines that uh, you, um, when you work them, they power video games. Mm-hmm. So it's great motivation for kids to exercise. But we don't have to get quite that complicated. We can make some really simple changes in our lifestyle just by getting kids out walking, just getting them restricting their screen time a little bit, getting them off the couch, doing things together as a family. And this doesn't have to be a ski trip or a hiking trip. Those are wonderful. But you can go out and play catch with your kids in the, in the backyard or go swimming, take them on a walk through the neighborhood, go on a bike ride. Simple things that we can just take a half hour out of our day and do with our children to get them more active, to get ourselves more active. Why aren't we walking to school anymore? I I think our society is so afraid that our kids are going to get kidnapped off the street that they won't let them walk to school anymore. And I think most of the statistics show that, you know, kidnappings are always an inside job. It's always a, you know, a family member. So we're kind of living in this state of constant fear, and our kids are suffering. Well, you're right. I think that's a big factor. The issue of safety is certainly a factor in the reason that we have school buses picking our children up every 25, 50 feet or so to take them to school. And, you know, it's more than just criminal concerns. It's also concerns about traffic, which we have much more of. And I think another factor in this is the factor of urban sprawl. Mm -hmm. Urban sprawl, the kind of communities many of us live in, in the suburbs where we are, you know, we don't have a grid-like street pattern. We have a curvilinear street pattern. Many of the homes are around cul-de-sacs. 
we don't have destinations we can walk or bike to, such as the bank or the post office or the grocery store. And furthermore, many of these communities don't have safe walking routes. They don't, in some cases, even have sidewalks. So even if uh, folks really wanted to walk or bike ride to destinations, it's difficult and not often safe for them to do so. And that's the same thing with uh, you know, children trying, attempting to walk or bike ride to school. Dr. Lynch, what have you instituted in New Hampshire that has kind of helped and actually worked? Well, you know, I have spent a lot of my time as First Lady trying to raise awareness about the problem to educate people about some of these factors that have contributed to this epidemic with the hopes that when you understand how we got here, we can start taking those steps backwards to get out of this situation. And one uh, program that I have been involved with that's really been very successful and a lot of fun is a program called Walk New Hampshire, where we have challenged children, and subsequently we opened it up to adults, to walk the length of New Hampshire, which is 190 miles, and earn rewards for completing their goals. And we had over 5,000 children participate in the first year of the program, and we had close to 2,000 kids complete their goal in the first nine months of the program. And we've had a lot of fun with it. Just this past May, we did a relay walk where we started uh, at our northernmost border with Canada and walked continuously over about two weeks' time to our southernmost border with Massachusetts. And uh, folks could join in for any or all of that walk. It was a great way to get out and see the state. We have a beautiful state here in New Hampshire. And it was a lot of fun. It was very social to get out and talk to people and walk. And we had a big celebration at the end when we completed our goal. It sounds like a beautiful program. Let's go back to your your clinic. You're a lipidologist and you're, you're treating children. I'm not particularly up on the current guidelines for treating kids with lipid disorders. So how often are you using statins? How often are you using Zetia? Are you using anything else with children? Well, I'll tell you, in our clinic, we see both adults and children, and we really consider lipid-lowering medication as a last resort or not certainly not a first-choice option. We really work very hard with our patients to get them to make lifestyle modifications, to become healthier with their eating habits and with their exercise activity. Obviously, that pertains to um, other factors such as smoking and other ways we can reduce cardiovascular risk. So we do try to do that, and I have to say it is the most challenging and the most rewarding part of my practice. However, we are not always able to get the lipids under control with lifestyle changes alone, and we do use lipid-lowering drugs, and we use most of the lipid-lowering drugs in children that we use in adults, including the statins, uh, including uh, drugs like Wellcall or Zetia. Um, we really can use any of them. Interestingly enough, the children that most often need to go on lipid-lowering medication are the children who come in with a genetically uh, caused lipid disorder, such sure. as familial, familial hypercholesterolemia. Right. Right. Usually the kids who, you know, it's just due to a bad lifestyle, with intense enough work on that, we can usually get success without using medication. As an internal medicine doctor, what can I be doing in my practice and what should I be telling my friends that they can do to kind of uh, advocate for healthy changes in our own communities? Well, that's a great question. I think there's something we all can do, and I think certainly paying attention to body mass index and uh, measuring our patients and looking for changes in that body mass index over time, that's particularly true for children, but it's also true for adults. 
I think also with adults it's very important to measure abdominal girth as a factor that's associated with a high risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease, visceral or abdominal obesity. And that is often very useful feedback as well as a, a great tool to assess our patients for obesity and other problems. Certainly we need to spend time educating our patients about the health risks associated with obesity. It often doesn't require losing 25, 50, 75 pounds. 5 to 10% loss of body weight is often enough to normalize cholesterol, to normalize blood sugar, to normalize blood pressure. And when people are presented with a concrete, smaller, achievable goal, it's often easier for them to be motivated to work on it. Well, Dr. Susan Lynch, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments or questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.